Greetings programs and welcome to another episode of the Awesome Friday Movie Podcast. I'm here today with Simon. My name is Matthew. How are you, Simon? Hello. Um, <laughs> let me choose a different adjective from every time you ask this. Yeah. Uh, I, um, I'm okay. I'm okay. Things are ticking along as normal. The boxes, uh, we now live in a sea of boxes instead of a, a, a wall of boxes. We now live in the sea of boxes. And so we're getting there. And... Um, that's one uh, of the I'm many okay steps there. of moving, is uh, sailing on a sea of boxes. I was unaware how much stuff we had. <laughs> and <laughs> we came, I came to this country in 2007 with my wife, and we had two bags each. And sometimes I kind of wish I, would, I could go back to that kind of absolute <laughs> minimalist approach. Um, but no, I do like having stuff as well. That's the problem. I like stuff. And when we move into our bigger house, we'll have place for stuff. At the moment, we just don't have... We have a small place anyway, and then to add all of our stuff in boxes is reducing that floor space quite dramatically anyway. But it's fine. We got to, we moved two weeks today. Hooray! I feel like you're in the middle of reciting that classic George Carlin uh, comedy <sighs> routine where he talks about how we only need space for stuff. Have you ever seen this? I'll send I it to you not. later if you haven't. Yes, do. But basically, how, oh, we're, we're obsessed with stuff, and we fill our house with stuff, and when it's full, we go buy a bigger house so we can fill it with more stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And add two children into that mix, and it's uh, an interesting situation. But how are you doing? Uh, okay. I'm very tired. <laughs> I've, I've flipped the script on that one. I just yeah. finished... I've actually technically not finished with my coverage of the Vancouver International Film Festival for 2021. Um, and I was planning on not doing another festival until a little later in the fall, but then I was invited to cover the Festival de Nouveau Cinema out of Montreal. So now I'm doing Ooh. that for the rest of the month. <laughs> Mais oui, très bien. Oui, I am is excited. All, is it all in French? Is it all French stuff? French no, language. actually, there's a lot of at least within the genre stuff. There's quite a bit of overlap with Biff, so I can I can tailor my coverage a little bit, probably. Are you doing Whistler uh, this year? Uh, yeah, it's not till not till December, so I don't I haven't heard oh, back okay. yet. But I I'm in I'm I've submitted for it, so yes. And the Asian Film Fest always has some really really interesting stuff in it, so I'm looking forward to that. But that's coming up soon as well, isn't it? Yeah, I have to actually get us on board for that one. Yes. Um, and then there's another small, very, very small Canadian genre festival called Blood in the Snow, which I covered last year that oh, I'll yeah. probably cover this year. It's a lot smaller this year. Mm-hmm. And I think I've actually already seen all the films that are going to be in it. But <laughs> that actually sort of works in my favor because I think what I'll do instead of watching those films is try and do some filmmaker interviews and such. Hey, Matt, can will you tell the listeners how many films you've watched this year? No, Based on that picture you sent me recently, you've uh, probably added to that number, haven't you? Let me, well, I watched let me that. one of the two films that I watched, <sighs> that we watched for this episode, uh, I watched last night, so there's at least one more. Right, uh, so I was up, be, you're up to... To be fair, um, a number of these films are short films, but they count. <laughs> they obviously, that's why I'm trying to cover them on the site a little more when I do cover a festival, I'm trying to... Uh-huh. You know, look at shorts as well um but the answer is 140 of this <laughs> year's that's not and to be clear that is not how many films i've watched this year that's how many of this year's films i've watched 
Well, it's a good job you don't have a separate day job to do and do this on the side, isn't it? Because God, uh, yeah, I, mean, I would. I would be exhausted all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Uh, just looking at my, I pretty, I pretty, I pretty studiously log everything that I watch on Letterboxd, and according to Letterboxd, I've watched, I have two hundred and ninety-four diary entries this year, which means I've logged two hundred and ninety-four things. Now, some of those are rewatches, like. I've watched. I watched The Running Man twice in one day this week, and let me tell you, I have why no regrets. You, why? Why did you watch? I mean, it's a great film, but why would you watch it twice in one day? Uh, so we recorded it on our PVR, and my lovely wife was working, and I watched it, and she came out. I was like halfway into it, and she came out, and she's like, "You're watching The Running Man," and I was like, "Yeah, we recorded it." <laughs> and so. And then later in the day, I was, she was like, "I was." She's like, "I'm gonna watch it later." I'm like, "It's okay. I'll do something else." And so I can't. She started watching it later in the day after I, well, after I had finished watching it, and I came out to talk to her, and I sat down, and then I just watched The Running Man a second time. <laughs> I have to and say, let me, uh, and let yeah. me tell you, no regrets, like, no, no regrets I mean, at it's, all. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great movie, and the short story it's based on is also very, very good, very different, but very good. But I have yeah. to say, your impression of your wife realizing you're halfway through Running Man is on point. That's a very good impression of your wife realizing <laughs> that you're watching that film. Yeah. And it turns out, and I don't I don't know if anyone's known this, but it turns out that Stephen King guy can write a story. Yes. Even when he's not using his real name, as he did Even with Even when the, the, the film has nothing to do with the story he wrote at all. I mean, that too. That too. <laughs> Wasn't that, that meant to be? That was meant to be a new version of the Running Man that followed the Backman story closer, wasn't there? Am I inventing that? <laughs> Backman. Uh, Backman. Um, yeah, I think Edgar Wright's actually attached to it still. Oh, I had. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, I find not. We do a whole podcast on this. There are whole podcasts on this, but I really find Stephen King's work as Richard Bachman really interesting. Mm-hmm. Because he basically has admitted in the past that Richard Bachman is like him if he were a lot meaner, <laughs> <laughs> and I find that really interesting. Yeah, I read all of his Bachman books years and years and years and years ago, and really enjoyed them. I really enjoy that you pronounce Bachman Bachman. <laughs> How do you say Bach Bachman Bachman Bachman? Yeah, it's back. It's Bachman. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Like just... the composer back. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> anyway, well, we've been digressing for a while, and this this what week we we've actually about? we've actually both seen oh, both boy. things that we're going to be talking about, which Crammed is exciting. In, but yes, yes, we did. Yeah, uh, we are going to be talking about next week's Netflix thriller. It's not technically out yet, as well. Ooh, Ooh. called Night Teeth. Uh, which I think has played a couple of festivals, but isn't in general release. And we are also going to be talking about the 25th entry in the James Bond franchise. And Daniel Craig's final outing as the titular character, No Time to Die. No time. And we're very excited about that. And, um, and the best thing about that movie is someone says the line. <laughs> and uh, it's you're waiting. Every Bond movie, you're waiting. It's like The Simpsons say the line, say the line, and uh, it's nice that someone does, and it's very satisfying. But yeah, 
Let's begin with Night Teeth, shall we? Yes, I think we probably should. Um, and yeah, we, if, we will probably cut off about halfway through talking about Bond because we are mm-hmm. definitely going to have to talk about spoilers yeah. when it comes to Absolutely. Bond. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, but let's talk about Night Teeth. What did you think of? Uh, why don't you give us a quick rundown on Night Teeth? So, um, the, <laughs> if you've seen any of these movies that have a secret cabal of vampires that humans don't know about, and they all begin with the same bloody monologue, it's the same thing here. For years, for hundreds of years, secret cabals of vampires have been fighting until they formed a truce and decided not to reveal themselves to the humans as long as nobody crosses the line. And so it basically begins with that um, the concept is you have warring factions of vampires split by ages and family groups, and they have this big war and by, to... and by huh? neighborhoods of Los Angeles is yes. what's the main dividing That's line a... between the groups. Yes. yes, and they have a big fight, and then they decide to have a truce, and they must never reveal themselves to the humans, and of course... The uh, the movie begins with someone deciding, hang on, what if, crazy idea, I killed all the other people and crossed that line and broke the truce that's been in place for hundreds of years, and then I can take all the power. I know you've never seen this movie before. <laughs> and I mean, so, never. 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 Never, 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 never. And so it basically begins, You you've got this main character, Jay, who is... Uh, who decides to start um, uh, crossing lines and grabbing power. And he, through a convoluted side, uh, number of sidesteps, his brother ends up doing his chauffeur job. So Jay's meant to be doing this job as a chauffeur where he drives people to parties, like high-end parties. And because he's making this power play, his, um, he, he convinces his brother, uh, played by, Matt's going to tell you the name now... Oh, George, it's, uh... George Lenderborg Jr., who yeah. you may remember from the movie Bumblebee, as Matt told me earlier. Yeah. So he, his brother becomes a chauffeur. He goes to pick up these two beautiful women from this amazing mansion, and they're kind of weird, and I wonder, could they be? Maybe not all they appear to be. And they have a series of parties they have to go to. And you've got this character, Jay who makes a power play and he's meant to be a chauffeur driving people to parties. And this well, one I mean, night, not that it, ma- not that it matters, but, but Victor makes the power play and Jay's just involved. Uh, yeah. But we don't find that till we don't find that out till later. I was doing some dramatic revealing later. Cause we don't really know at the beginning Ooh, yes. who he's working with. That's only revealed later. We, um, but anyway, his brother ends up in the car pretending to be Jay, but it's really Benny picks up these two mysterious girls who are very, very creepy and weird and oh, don't their teeth look slightly pointy and they have to go to a number of parties and the last one they state very clearly, they have to hit the last one before sunrise, before dawn. And so at the beginning it feels like a really shitty kind of teal and orange with flashes of neon. Uh, it just felt a lot like Kate at the beginning, like not particularly inspired as he's driving these people around. But as the night transpires, Benny finds out their true meaning, and the, and the girls are actually part of this power play. And um, he then, it's, it becomes a lot more about his relationship with them and the decisions he makes. And of course, then it leads to uh-huh. a, a 
final of sorts where emotions happen. <laughs> How's that for a synopsis? I what mean, did you think of Night Teeth? <laughs> I thought it was kind of good. <laughs> Here's the thing about this movie. I, I don't know that it's a good movie, but in the moment that I watched it, it was exactly the kind of high-gloss bullshit that I was totally on board for, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, the uh-huh. setup is pretty generic. It's, it's either a vampire or a mafia movie with, you know, a civilian caught up in the middle. Um, there's two, two mysterious women, one of whom is a little bit crazy and the other whom is, you know, the nice one. And there's a middle management person in the cabal of vampires and, or the mafia, whichever you like, who's trying to seize power. And there's a number of like, you know, mid, mid, mid tier celebrities cameo as the sort of leaders of the various factions of the vampires and lots of hot people are in it being vampires you know it's uh it does a pretty good job of creating its own familiar but slightly unique mythology centered around the neighborhoods of la and people are hot that's i mean that's that's what it comes down to it turns out if you're a a key point yeah sorry sorry yeah i was gonna say like and a, a key thing with a movie like this is that you have to sort of be on board with the protagonist and the protagonist is well-performed and sympathetic and I really liked him. So I ended mm-hmm. up liking the movie. That's pretty much it. I have qualms, like not all the performances are great, but um, mm-hmm. I don't care really. Like, it's not the kind of movie where I'm necessarily worried about that. So yeah, so this, this, this was a, a movie of dramatically different reactions for me, and I I kind of like how I'm very open to changing my mind during a movie because at the beginning of this movie, when it starts with its underworld ripoff, and it starts with the like the one side stepping over the line and the power play, and then your your cocksure English vampire goes to the other like Megan Fox's like what eight minutes of screen time just to go and. Um, uh, that's, to, that's, to, pretty to snatch, that's pretty generous. That's pretty generous amount of screen time. <laughs> to try, try and snatch power. Honestly, up until that moment, I, if we hadn't been talking about it for the podcast, I would have turned it off because I just thought it was just like I texted you, like, oh, it's another Netflix teal and orange with neon action flick that's kind of generic and boring, and it's a non. It's the first twenty five minutes of this movie is basically low, low budget underworld like cover story and but for me when uh-huh. when uh the focus actually shifts away from alfie allen so alfie allen is the english guy making this power play when um spoiler when he uh, has a chat with megan fox and megan fox's friend and then they both disappear Sid- sydney oh, sweeney sydney sweeney from the earth um then it, it gets dramatically better because it stops being about really uh, the power play, and it becomes about uh, Benny, who you're right, the, it's acted, um, the actor really finds a way to uh, make us interested in him. It's kind of a bit, it turns into a bit like a collateral, you know, where you've got this the driver driving these killers around and kind of their relationship evolves and the sister who is not crazy is... Um, uh, actually forms this like bond with him that in a very realistic and actually quite touching kind of way eventually and it the the movie the parts of the movie that i actually really enjoyed 
were the parts where it's the three of them in the car and him kind of deciding what's gonna what he's gonna do in that situation because he he goes from being scared to trying to run to actually supporting them as he kind of falls for the less crazy vampire sister um and then yeah, I of mean, course, the whole, uh, for me sorry go on go on, go on. yeah no i was gonna say what's interesting is that that emotional building kind of pays off at the end so it actually uh it goes somewhere worthwhile and i ended up really really enjoying the second two-thirds of this movie oh, sorry the, the last two-thirds of this movie what were you gonna say the bulk, the bulk of the movie even <laughs> Um, yeah, I enjoyed uh, the book. Like, really, really, I I looked to see if there was a fast-forward option. I was just trying any way to get through this as quickly as possible. And then there's a shift from Alfie Allen to them in the car. And the more time I spent with them, like, talking in the car and hanging out with them, the more I was like, oh, no, I am, this is actually much, much better. Yeah, for me, the shift was... Uh, so I found the beginning to be uh, quite generic like we were talking about like you said um and it really is like underworld crossed with collateral that's probably the mm-hmm. best way to describe this the basic conceit of the film anyway um but for me once it gets to a point uh, there's a point where he just thinks he's driving these two girls around to various parties and they have to hit all these parties before a certain deadline uh but he runs away from a police officer because he's you know a person of color in Los Angeles in 2021. (laughs) Um, And he ends up like bursting into the club that they're in and finding them basically halfway through murdering some people. And that for me, that's where the shift came. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Once you sort of, once, once he understands, like you understand what's going on pretty quickly, but once he understands what's going on, um, the movie gets a lot more interesting. Yeah. And his interplay with the two, you know, the crazy one and the not crazy one, uh, works really, really well, I thought. Even though, I will say, I thought that the young woman who played Zoe, Lucy Fry, was not great. <laughs> I found her performance to be... For someone who's supposed to be 200 years old and batshit crazy, mm-hmm. I found her to be a little flat. Mm-hmm. Um, not all the time. Some of the time she was... But sometimes when she was... When she should have been dialing it to 11, she was only dialing it to like an 8. You know, and I thought it's a kind of a nitpicky way to look at it. But when someone literally on screen says, "I'm a crazy person," you expect mm-hmm. them to be a little bit crazy, and she mm-hmm. just kind of wasn't. Yeah. Um, but all I mean, otherwise, like I, I thought that um, George Lindenberg Jr. was good. I thought that Debbie mm-hmm. Ryan was good. Um, Raul Castillo, who we actually saw earlier this year in um, Army of the Dead was pretty good of course that's where i recognized him from uh it was nice to see alfie allen playing a character who wasn't sniveling um and pathetic which is what i usually see him as in stuff whether it's game of thrones or john wick or whatever oh yeah yeah Yeah. um and yeah i mean like everyone everyone with a main sort of speaking part was good and it was honestly kind of fun just to see Megan Fox and Sydney Sweeney show up in the middle to be like the hot elder vampires. <laughs> I know it's kind of not, not exactly unique, but I kind of enjoyed that. Like it seemed like the older, the character there was the younger of a person they cast, which I kind of enjoyed. <laughs> um, and 
Uh, I think your mileage will vary on his performance, but um, uh, blah, 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 what is his name? Which one? He's Which not on this list. The guy who played Rico, who I should really remember because he's from here. Um, oh, and he's in the Hunger Rico? Games and such. Oh, he was the tattooed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Alexander guy. Ludwig. Alexander Ludwig. Yeah, yeah. So he's from he's from Vancouver, and he's oh, right. pretty reliably great. And he, and he, uh, yeah, he's like 20, 29, 28, something like that. And you got to start really, really early. And he, uh, he's, I don't. I think that his performance has a lot of choices in it that worked for me, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, he definitely is going for it, which I appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whether whether it works for you or not, he's really like throwing himself into it, you know. <laughs> yeah. The um, the um, fighting was good. As but well, I mean, on a about... on a on a more superficial level too. Like, if you just want to see a bunch of hot young people on screen, like, <laughs> do I have a movie for you? <laughs> It's much better than Kate. <laughs> we can say that much. I mean, the, yeah. The interestingly, as as the film goes on, the direction of everything gets better as well. It's really quite the whole first section is quite bland and uninspired, but as things sort of transpire, and there's actually another faction. It turns out there's a bu- there's a bunch of humans who know about vampires who actively hunt them with these crossbows. That they um, when they fire a crossbow, it leaves this like shimmery blue trail. So at one point, the, mm-hmm. the there's something. Uh, the girls are trying to meet one of the vampire leaders, and he's already been taken out by a guy from the Human Hunters. And there's a fight between the girls, the vampires inside, and the hunters outside as they're trying to get through it all and get to the car and get out. That's actually super fucking cool. Like with like crossbow bolts going everywhere, and there's some really good staged um, fighting transfers as well, and. Um, that I really, really enjoyed. Like the the pace of this film really picks up towards the end. I really like that. Yeah, and I think you know when I say, like I said earlier, that it's a very it's a very high gloss film, and that sounds like I'm saying it's shallow, uh, but it's not. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really interesting directorial choices, and it's definitely a mm-hmm. choice that this movie is slick and hot, and it's not exactly unique, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have any anything to it right it's not the problem with kate in my mind was that it sacrificed substance for style and this has at least some amount of substance and that goes a long way for me yeah um, yeah no you're absolutely right. but also just like and you know there's a lot of really cool to watch See, you're talking about the fighting and i think one of the most interesting scenes is there's a, a moment where benny where uh george lindeberg jr makes a choice uh and the whole thing goes you know it in the background there's a huge fight happening but the whole thing focuses on him having just made this choice and so the whole thing's in slow motion in the background and a lot of this that whole scene is just really gorgeous and there's a couple of other moments of slow motion that while managed to be interesting and also not gratuitous which because yeah. uh, oftentimes you know speed ramping can be pretty gratuitous um, that was great. That was great for me as but, well because I the kids were asleep, so I had subtitles on. And during the one point, the subtitle says "slow motion yelling," which is a, a great parallel to how I feel about <laughs> most things at the moment. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's uh, that's twenty 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 and twenty twenty one in a nutshell: slow motion <laughs> really yelling. Is. 
It really, really is. But uh, yeah. if you can get through the first 20 minutes of this film, I really recommend it. It turns into something actually good, I'd say. Yeah, and honestly, I don't even think it's 20. I think it's really, like, if you can... Because the movie starts, and the the initial monologue of, like, 100 years ago, we made a secret arrangement. Vampires live in secret, and we amassed more power than you can possibly imagine. So if you can get past that, which is really the first couple of minutes, you'll probably be okay. Because, yeah. But that part does definitely feel like, you know, cribbed from three other scripts. Um Mm-hmm, uh, yeah, so like if you can, if you can get past the initial setup, you'll be you'll be fine, and I think you'll enjoy yeah. this movie. It's yeah. it's it's not totally deep, but it's not shallow, <laughs> and it's very pretty, yeah. and it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun, yeah. and I I am on board for kind of fun, you know. Absolutely. Who can yeah. ask for more than that? Absolutely, on a Friday night, especially. Okay. Yeah, so and I mean, as Netflix films go, you know, it's uh, it's not mm. necessarily a high bar to clear. I say that yeah, out loud. I think I said so, that out loud. You know what? I was wondering about saying the same thing out loud as well. Like I've I've watched a couple of Netflix films now, and I I have watched some Apple TV stuff, and I've watched homemade stuff on many of the platforms, Prime and so on. And it does. I do feel that Netflix stuff is a bit like made by committee at the lowest budget po- like possible and then thrown out. I don't know if this movie was made by Netflix or bought by Netflix. Because something like Kate was made by them. It was a Netflix production. But this has been doing some film festivals, so I don't know if they just bought the rights to it. But at the beginning, it feels like I... another Netflix movie. But Extraction is another great example of... It's a very Netflix movie. It's like it's It's made by committee and it has a handsome man running around and there's just nothing to it at all but if that's what you want then that's what you get and i i find like the apple tv movies are a bit more interesting and prime stuff is a bit more interesting and a bit more diverse but i guess netflix um they know they're they they they're more about appeal i think wider appeal i don't know i'm pretty i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure this was produced by netflix okay and having seen a lot, so I guess what I said wasn't really fair in my mind because um, I think having watched a ton of Netflix stuff now this year, especially, um, I would say that Netflix does really, really well with certain types of films and not so great with others. Mm-hmm. And but what that boils down to is that these sort of actiony movies are the ones they don't tend to do very well with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they're actually super good at like dramas, especially like, you know, period costume dramas. They do some really good work there. Um, and comedies are, are you know, comedy's pretty subjective, so I tend to give a lot of that a pass. But um, yeah, with action movies, they tend to be, you know, feel a little bit cheap, and this doesn't. And they tend to feel a little rushed, and this doesn't. It feels like it's a very much a version of what it was intending to be. And uh, I like that. What's yeah. the, in terms of Netflix Netflix comedies, what's the name of that Ali Wong comedy uh, made by Netflix? Oh, oh uh, You'll Always Be My Maybe? You'll Always Be I My think. Maybe. You'll Always Be My I Maybe. I hated that film so much. I thought it was awful. Anyway, that's my opinion about uh, that movie. 
I'm not even sure if that was a Netflix. Fair movie, enough. To be honest, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, anyway. I mean, obviously, they, they 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 make and acquire so much content; it's difficult to say what they yeah. make and what they acquire. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. watch watch night. Anyway, that's, get some popcorn. Yeah, night is pretty good. Uh, lower your expectations suitably, but then be pleasantly surprised. I think that's a good way to approach all movies, isn't it? Is going expecting it to be problematic and, and be surprised. <clears throat> I've ruined too many I mean, movies yeah, I mean, by going and expecting it to be amazing. Yeah, I mean, uh, the I think the key to enjoying a lot of movies is just not having expectations at all. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. not so much lowering them, just remove them entirely. Just you know, <laughs> accept the approach the film on its own terms. I think is a, very, a, a good way to be. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm an so adult. She... <laughs> yes. Good job. Um, should we talk yeah. about Bond then? Yes. So that's very much Night Teeth. Go watch it. Hooray. We're going to move on to James Bond. And for mm-hmm. the next little while, we're going to speak without spoilers uh, about James Bond. And when we start talking in spoilers, which will probably be pretty quick... Uh yeah, you will want if you haven't seen the movie, you will want to come back later. So, be prepared yeah. for that. Um, yeah. it's going to be quite hard to talk about this film without giving stuff away. There's a lot that happens in this film that's kind of integral to how you're going to feel about it. So, like, give us an overview of this movie without any spoilers. Good luck. <laughs> What's the premise? Uh, What's the well, box? I mean, so the so. No Time to Die picks up immediately after the end of Spectre, um, as many of these Daniel Craig Bond films seem to do, pick up directly after the end of the previous one. Uh, And he is on, effectively, a honeymoon with Madeline Swan, played by Leah Seydoux. And she basically says, you should go and see... They're in the town where Vesper Lind is buried, and she says, you should go and see Vesper, uh, because we both need to let go of our pasts if we're going to have a future. And he goes there, and Vesper's tomb blows up, and he uh, then races across the city to get back to Madeline. And that is the opening of the film, and it's one of the best action sequences in the entire film, which is a little bit unfair. Um, when he gets back to Madeline, he ha- he assumes that she sold him out, because he, being James Bond, is incapable of trust. And every time he does trust, he's betrayed. Uh, and that happens in basically every movie. <laughs> so, yeah. I have a lot to say about, movie, uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, he puts her on a train once she's safe and says, you'll never see me again. And then the film credits roll 25 minutes into the movie. And uh, it jumps ahead to five years. And now, now retired Bond is cajoled back into service by Felix Leiter, played by Jeffrey Wright. And thus begins a globe-trotting adventure where uh, he has to find a bad guy and stop that bad guy from destroying the world. Which is a sort <laughs> of a delightfully old-school yeah. villain motivation, as Daniel yeah. Craig Bond films go. Absolutely. Um, and that's about all I can say. You know, in Pretty Sony much. Retirement, he's been replaced. There's a new 007, played by Lashana Lynch, and... In coming back to service after discovering this plot to destroy the world, he um, 
crosses paths with M and with Q and with Tanner and most importantly with Madeline again because they need to talk to Blofeld, played by Christoph Waltz. And um, basically all of this comes to a head and they figure out that Rami Malek's Safin is the bad guy who has a link to both Bond and Swan's past because of fucking course he does. And <laughs> then they set out to stop him. Basically, it is, um, it is, it's, yeah, it's, it's, that's, I mean, that, okay, that is literally all I can say about the actual, it is, I did enjoy how it was like the final (laughs) episode of a long running TV show where they're like, that we, we've got to find a way for every single person who's significant to not just this franchise, but Daniel Craig in this franchise has to make an appearance. So Jeffrey Wright shows up as Felix Leiter and, uh, there's all these, yep. uh, all these like spe- um, Blofeld's there, and oh, and here's here's another person from your past. Um, because as we know, if we've learned nothing else from Daniel Craig's tenure, it's that the world is a tiny place, and his past is the most significant story element to all of his movies. <laughs> yeah, it's um, a bit like the Star Wars of Bond I mean, movies, isn't it? <laughs> a little bit. I mean, it's really it's you know the. James Bond films have always sort of mimicked trends of their times. Mm-hmm. And in this case, ever since, I mean, the worst offender of this was Spectre, but, you know, they're really chasing that Marvel, everything is connected mm-hmm. theme or, or money, if you will, mm-hmm. um, by making everyone's, everyone's past tied together. And every, you know, everything has to be connected to everything else. You know, even Skyfall, which is the the most standalone of his films, mm-hmm. um, you know, Blofeld claims ownership of that plot in Spectre, and it becomes fairly a fairly important well, not fairly important, but it becomes a, a point in this one as well. Um, I mean, Skyfall. I mean, Skyfall's the name of his ancestral family home where he ends up killing everyone. So that's. His his past is a huge element of that as well, and it's what yeah. I would love. Like before we get into spoilers, and before we even start talking about how we feel about this movie in a general way, what I would love for the next James Bond movie is it to be nothing about the past of the character. I would, I just want this man, this super spy, inserted into this tricky situation, and have him solve it with his wits and one liners. Like I don't, I don't want any familial connection. I don't want any like blood debt from his grandfather. I don't want anything because that's for me. That's like mm-hmm. done. These this series of movies, every single one. It, and and I don't. I'm not saying this that I hated the movies. I actually loved many of them, including this one actually. But I am absolutely finished with everything being about Bond's past. Because I'm not interested I mean, in that that's, story element. That's fair. I think, you know, for better or for worse, this one really, with Casino Royale, soft, sort of soft rebooting the franchise um, and making it clear that this was a different Bond than previous Bonds was sort of a, uh, is a boon and, and a flaw in that it gave them a blank slate to start with, which I, mm-hmm. I like. Um, but then they definitely, you know, every time they fill out a piece of his backstory, they have to keep, you know, they have to pay attention. They they decided to pay attention to it in a much more meaningful way. Whereas, you know, every other Bond actor and every other previous outing 
only pays attention to continuity in in the macro sense of things you know like there's very little detail continuity throughout these films you know do they do they stay you know blofeld is played by by several different actors i mean Mm -hmm. the most emotional film in the entire franchise might be on her majesty's secret service it ends on a huge downer and in the next film bond's just a different guy figuratively and literally a different guy it's there and like there is a bit of continuity in a in a following film but it's like three films later and two actors later and you know the the continuity has never been a thing is what i'm trying to say not in a in a meaningful way and in, in this franchise in the in the daniel craig era it's a much more meaningful thing and uh that's you know your mile whether that works for you is up to you but it, it works for me but you're you're sort of right. I don't need to see any of this backstory anymore. <laughs> but yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about what the future of the franchise could and maybe should be. But I'll talk about that after we've had a chance to talk about some spoilers. Yeah, yeah. It's um, interesting you talk before about. Before we get there, uh, no, go ahead. Oh, can you? Sorry, my mic is just falling. Hang on. Can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Hello. Sorry, my mic fell. Um, what was I saying? Oh, so I was going to mention about, you mentioned in Casino Royale that, um, they state, they make it clear it's a new Bond. And I thought, I, what, where did they do that in Casino Royale? Because I know in Skyfall they make it clear that this is a, this is a family lineage not linked to the other Bonds. But in, in Casino Royale, do they state that this is a new, a different Bond? So it's never outright stated. That's why I say it's a, a, a bit of a soft reboot of the franchise, but it's very much mm-hmm. like the opening of that film is he's not technically a double O yet. He's making the, the kill that will let him be designated a double O agent. Uh... And it's made pretty clear that this is his first real mission as a double O agent. Yeah. Um, right. So it's definitely a, a fresher start than probably they've ever done in the past, as opposed always... to say like, the, the Connery, Lazenby, Moore transition in which it's very clear that especially like Roger Moore is just playing the same guy that Connery played, mm-hmm. especially in the first two of his films. Um, you know, I actually, in a lot of ways, Roger Moore is kind of my James Bond, but he doesn't mm-hmm. become the Roger Moore James Bond that we remember him as until about his third film. In uh, his first two, he's he's very much just trying to be Sean Connery. It doesn't really work for me. Um, I know that there's lots of theories and, and and fan things about like, you know, is it a person or a code name? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was thinking about this this week, and my my personal feeling is now this that Connery, Lazenby, and Roger Moore were all the same guy. Oh. And Dalton and Brosnan were the same guy, and Craig is a different guy. Oh, interesting! Because Lazenby in, in Having... Her Majesty's Secret Service says this never happened to the other fellow. Yeah, I know that's the one the, thing sort of one thing flaw in my, <laughs> my thinking. But I mean, very much, very much. Roger Moore's character is version of Bond is again, especially the beginning, just Connery's Bond again. But in the 80s, they sort of, they didn't reboot the franchise, but 
after more leaves, like the entire production changes, <laughs> like everything is brought forward from into like the new eighties and, and then Brazen is just sort of slotted into that after Dalton leaves and then mm. Casino Royale again, soft reboots the whole thing. Mm. Um, that's a pretty big digression. I would say though, that I have really enjoyed Daniel Craig's tenure and I think he's really good in this one. Mm. Like, I think in a film that for you know for better or for worse has a very emotional finale and a very emotional core it, you you know Craig does really really well like I think it's, you know we we often forget when we see actors in big action franchises that they're still actors and they're often still good actors I think that Daniel Craig is a really good actor and this movie would be worse without him you know and I, I, I don't know how do you feel about any any or all of that <laughs> no, I I agree totally. Like I think this is definitely the the one movie out of all of his tenure where he actually gets to do some proper acting. It's no secret that he doesn't like the character. He doesn't particularly like playing the character because the character's a, it's a very one note character overall, and every sort of iteration of Bond tries to fit this uh, spy from the sixties into a modern world with with varying degrees of success. But in this one, you do, if you needed reminding that Daniel Craig is actually a really, really good actor, then this film will remind you of that. And more so than any of the others. And even Skyfall, which is, which maybe was my favorite before No Time to Die of Daniel Craig's movies, has, gives him moments of reflection. But this is, this is beautifully played by him and the script gives him a lot of opportunities to actually show this character still the character you recognize but it's the the mileage is definitely getting to him now and um, he may still be this unstoppable force but that doesn't mean his hit won't give out sometimes like and and mm-hmm. what's what's really nice about this like i've there's so much about this film that i loved and one of the key areas was Bond in a fight. Bond in a fight is not only realistic, but there's moments where he gets lucky. And Daniel play Daniel Craig plays this totally as well, that was lucky, or like there's one wonderful moment as a fight in a bar where he th- falls through a roof on top of a guy, and the camera's just the other side of this bar, and he just sort of stands up and makes his face like Whew. and it's um it's little <laughs> moments like that. Do you know the bit I mean? It's it's little yeah, do, yeah. moments like that, and he he really humanizes Bond in a way that even other Bonds haven't done before. I mean, if you think back to one of Pierce Brosnan's terrible movies or terrible moments, I'm not a fan of Brosnan's Bond, but there's a, there's a one of his movies. He's sat on a beach, and it may be Hal Berry, who's like, "You're so cold," but it keeps you it keeps you lonely, and and Pierce Brosnan says, "It keeps me alive." And it's just awful, awful. <laughs> and this is the opposite of that. Like the through the direction, through the script, and definitely through mainly through Craig, he finds a really good way of humanizing this character and showing us really the pain he's in, like mentally and physically, because he didn't really want to come back. He's he's back, he's back <laughs> just when he thought he was out, mm-hmm. and he he um from the beginning to end this is not another clockwork bond like there's a lot going on here i i really just mm-hmm. loved the movie i loved it way more than i thought i would 
there are some choices that um, I think maybe weren't the best choices. Um, there is elements of the runtime I think could have been sliced down a little bit, but generally, I I think how I feel is that this is an amazing, amazing spy action movie. It's a really amazing action movie. Is it a great Bond movie? And then it, I'm going back to well, what makes a Bond movie? What is even a Bond movie? And and this is going to be spoiler territory, but. Um, there are elements that I think could have been changed to make it a more characteristic Bond movie, but as a action movie I don't, I, with this like I think agent the, spy, I would say that if they made this a more characteristically Bond movie, and I, I disagree that there those characteristics aren't there at all, but I think that they had tried to make it a more characteristically Bond film, it would be worse for it. Oh yeah, because without I, getting too far into spoilers, I think that this film ends the only way i think in the most fitting way than it could have really mm. um <laughs> we're and we're really dancing story. around stuff <laughs> at this moment so before we get into spoilers um because we we clearly have a lot to say so before we get into spoilers um let's just say a few other non-spoilery things first of which is that anna de armas shows up in this film for about 15 minutes and she is a delight in every single microsecond that she's on screen um, not only because she has clear chemistry with Daniel Craig, but turns out she's a very capable action star as well. She shows up as a CIA agent who helps Bond on a mission in Cuba, and that whole sequence is one of the, the funnest sequences in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, tell me, tell me, tell me, I'm wrong. You're not. I mean, I'm not. But I you can try I, if you want to. When when that scene ends and she makes it clear that she's not in the rest of the movie, there's a very clear cutoff to that scene. And I texted you and I said, I want you to know that when I say I'm in love with Anna de Armas, I mean it utterly literally. Because <laughs> she, from the second Bond walks in and she, uh, she's in this beautiful dress, but she's, she, you, it's difficult to translate the 60s Bond girl into a modern female character. It's really, really difficult. Um, and of course, Bond is is in a position where he he's trying to save a relationship, so he's not really the Bond that sleeps around here. So you can't have her jumping into bed with him, but you can have light flirtation, obviously. But she mm-hmm. she plays this in almost like she's had two weeks so training. bubbly. So she's she's so bubbly and she's so like yeah. positive, and she is just magnetism on screen you cannot look away from her apart from the fact that she's stunningly stunningly beautiful and then when the fight starts she is just like i wonder if they only put her in this movie for like quarter of an hour because if it was any longer it would be her movie because i would watch a whole movie Mm -hmm. with her in it like easily i want her to be the franchise um so it's a (laughs) shame she's not in it longer but i mean she is just spectacular in this film yeah, and one thing that's really refreshing is that, and to be fair, going back to the 60s changes context a little bit, but typically the characters that are bubbly and positive in films like this are are, are also incapable, and she is anything but incapable as an agent mm-hmm. and a spy in this film. Yeah. Um, and I just love how it's not just that she's positive, it's that she's genuinely excited to be doing the work in a way that Bond clearly isn't anymore. Bond's really like dragged back to work by Felix in the, at this point in the film. 
and he shows up and he's like shall we do the code phrase like he says the code phrase and she's like what oh no i'm too excited we have to we just have to get to work now like (laughs) (laughs) and just every everything she says is is and she's like again she's just like very clearly excited just to be there and that does so much for the whole scene and it turns out that Corey fukunaga like can direct the shit out of an action sequence. Oh I mean, we already God. knew that. Anyone who's seen any of his work knows that. But every oh, action sequence in the film is wonderfully directed. It's interesting you say that because um, I've never seen anything he's done. This is my first thing that he has made. I haven't seen True Detective or the first. Didn't he do the first It as well? And um, I, uh, I was... no, no, he was he was going to, and then he didn't. Oh, okay, but whatever he's done, I haven't seen it. And so, yeah, I was blown away. The action scenes are fantastic in this. Really fantastic. Pro pro tip, he did an adaptation of Jane Eyre with Michael Fassbender and Mia Wazowska. That's really good. Um, So one of the other big things, and this is not a spoiler, this has been in tons of marketing material, so I'm just making clear this is not a spoiler. In the film, James Bond is retired, and there's a new 007 played by Lashana Lynch. How did you find Lashana Lynch? Um, Generally and spoiler free. Like, fine. Um, I don't think she was given enough to do. But, uh, she, a little cold, but she's meant to be a spy, so she's not really meant to be the warmest person. And she can kick ass, so fine. I mean, she's she wasn't meant to be the focus, so fine. Like, how do you feel? Yeah. So I, I've been talking to a number of people about this, and I just feel like I'm in a different universe in that I really liked her as the new spy. I like that she wasn't trying to be James Bond. She was trying to be a spy, and she was trying to be, you know, cool and collected, and she got a a cool up to be fair her one cool really cool line gets feels a little bit shoehorned in mm-hmm. um but like i would very gladly watch another movie with her in it as well yeah. you know like um and also she she at one point wears just a lovely roger moore style safari jacket and i i dig that so. <laughs> <laughs> i didn't pick up on that but yeah yeah. See. Um... Yeah. There's a whole sequence where they're walking around MI6 headquarters, and she's wearing like, a like an outfit that Roger Moore would have worn in the 70s. It's pretty great. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I would have liked a bit more of her, but yeah, I I have no problem with her taking uh, becoming the new 007. Absolutely. Yeah. She. she yeah. I I liked. I actually liked the delivery. The the line was shoehorned in, and honestly. Um, Phoebe uh, Waller-Bridge famously was Waller Bridge. To, yep. to sparkle up the script and she is such a distinct writer that you know exactly which parts of this movie she touched and <laughs> sometimes it doesn't yeah, fit yeah like right all of well sometimes right. it doesn't feel like it fits sometimes it's just all of Anna de Armas' dialogue and it works amazingly yes but, yes yes yeah. I think when it's a full scene, it works really, really well. But um, you, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it at all. It's just like here are the funny parts of the scene. <laughs> you know exactly which parts she yeah. touched. So um, I kind of liked uh, that that line delivery. Yeah, there's um, 
yeah, there's we'll talk about it in Spoiler Town, but there's a uh, there's there's one uh, jokey bit in particular that like I don't necessarily think fits, but I also kind of love. So uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, should we move on to spoil? I feel like at this point we sh- we can't really talk much more without talking about spoilers. So if you haven't seen the film, it is in theaters now, and be safe, wear a mask, be vaccinated if you're going to go see it. Um, mm-hmm. But if you haven't seen it, pause here come back later because we're going to talk in some pretty deep detail i think um in the meantime we thank everyone who's leaving thank you for listening uh we appreciate your support if you you know have the wherewithal and the will to give us a like or a review or uh subscribe or a shout out uh on whatever platforms you're on for podcasts or social media we would love you for it. We have a Patreon and a Kofi. You can find those at awesomefriday.ca. And we love you. We do. We do, yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. We're going to talk about some James Bond spoilers now. This is your final warning. <laughs> have a good day. And in three, two, one, I don't even know where to start. There's so much to talk about in terms of this film. Uh, Can I, I think. Can I, I mean, I'm we sorry, gotta we I... gotta start with the end, right? Yeah, I mean, go, 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 do your thing. So before we even get into the story beats and all the spoilers, I just want to paint a scenario for you that um, at some point, oh my tabs closed. I have to remember his name. At some point in the casting for this movie. Rami Malek came in and read a scene and the casting director and the director went, yeah, that was really good. Let's have you. And I feel like that was a bad decision because really? uh, yeah. Oh, Oh yeah. Like, and it sometimes when people are boring on, on screen, where they have zero chemistry or, or a presence on screen, the fault is as much to do the script and the direction. And here the script was good. The direction was good. He was, I would struggle to find someone more lifeless and boring. And he was trying to be cold, but it didn't work for me. Didn't work at all. Like I thought he was absolutely dreadful, 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 dreadful at what he was trying to do. And the problem is that everyone else was great, pretty much. And the direction was great. I liked the script. What's your opinion? I, so just to be clear up front, I think that Safin is a prob probably one of the most boring villains in James Bond history. <laughs> yes. My problem is nothing to do, and and very generally speaking, I am not actually a fan of Rami Malek as an actor. I think he's mm-hmm. fine. I think he he's one of those guys who like occasionally he's brilliant, and most of the time he's fine, and that's fine. I think. He won an Academy Award when he shouldn't have, but that's a whole other discussion, so let's not dive into it. Um, I just think the character was boring. I don't think it was Rami Malek's fault. That's just what I'm going to say. I think that he was totally underwritten. I think that the character was honestly unimportant to the themes and primary story of the film, and as a result, the character's boring and underwritten, and I don't think it's his fault. I think he probably gave them exactly what what they asked for, and when he said, "What are you guys asking me for exactly?" They went, "I don't know, bad guy." <laughs> you know, because so lifeless. All of his reads were so lifeless. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't, don't. I don't think it was the script's fault. Like, he I do because, like, if you could tell me what his motivation was at any point through his dialogue, uh, I would love that because it's sure. not present at any point. He and there was the really um, I, uh, original take of "We're the same, you and I. We want the same thing, just through no. different means. Just that I, you, we could be mirror images, except I want to kill billions of people and you don't." Yeah, I feel like at some point in the in the script writing process, someone said, "Should we give Seven motivation?" And someone else said, <laughs> uh, "I mean, he's a Bond villain, so he's gonna try to destroy the world, and that's all you really need to know." Uh-huh. Uh, so I don't have a problem with Rami Malek in this film. I have a problem with character being boring, and I think it's everyone's fault. I don't think it's anyone one. <laughs> I don't think it's any one person's fault in particular i just think it's a boring underwritten character i also don't think it matters to my enjoyment or your enjoyment of the film dear listener because ultimately the villain in the story doesn't actually matter so because mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with what the film no. is about yeah i i i agree up to a point that he was quite boring and they didn't and he was underwritten but what he did have the delivery that he did have, there were so many things he could have done with it that would have made it more interesting in, in a number of different ways. But all, his just his reading of everything was just awful. So maybe maybe it was underwritten. And you're right, at one point I thought to myself, what would happen if we just took this character out? Like, would everything still work? And I spent a few quite a long time like thinking why why is this character even here like who is this person and why are yeah, they I mean, important i mean he... the, the the story needs an antagonist and the and as a result the story has the literal bare minimum of an antagonist yes like it's yes and that is probably the biggest flaw of the movie to be totally frank about it now that we're mm-hmm. able to be frank about things mm-hmm. um and I don't think it's. I honestly, we're not even really talking about spoilers in saying this happens boring and underwritten. I think that his yeah. care, his connections to Madeline Swan's backstory also feel like a very first drafty. Like, and mm-hmm. I, I don't understand how Remy Malik and Leah Sadu, who appear to me to be exactly the same age, could have the bare minimum ten year age gap. <laughs> like, oh, give him like yeah. four gray hairs. Yeah. Give him like four gray hairs. That's all I'm talking yeah. about. Um, and also, how does he survive being shot multiple times in the chest? Is that ever established? I don't. Uh, maybe reasons. Uh, so, so I'm sure a, his a... I'm sure his kimono or whatever it is has uh, <laughs> Kevlar woven into it. That's so, I I thought this was a story plot because at the beginning it starts with this 25 minute pre credit like and prequel prequel like of um a guy remy malik in a mask like trying to kill people for reasons we found out later and the girl who turns out to be madeline is like maybe six maybe seven and she runs from the house and falls falls through the ice and and then he uh, saves but, her because well, reasons. yeah but before so she has clearly been trained for this because she's the turns out she's the daughter of one of blofeld's hitmen so she has a gun, she has a hiding place, she has a gun. And at one point, she empties a round, like many rounds, she empties a clip into his chest and he falls on the ground. And then he comes, she tries to drag him outside and he comes back to life. And I'm like, oh, okay, so Safran's like, maybe he doesn't feel pain or maybe he's got some like 
body condition that makes him impervious to like bleeding out or something. That's and it's never ever addressed again how he survived being shot in the chest. I do I do wonder if perhaps there is some something that hit the cutting room floor. Um, I actually guested on a different podcast to talk about this movie, and someone there mentioned that there had been some talk early in the production that the villain would have taken some serum or, uh, not to get ahead of ourselves, but would have some version of the uh, nanobots, which we'll talk about in a second, in his system that mm-hmm. keep him alive and also keep him from aging, but also that's why he's so disfigured in the film. But mm-hmm. then that's never established. So I feel like yeah. there's maybe an explanation that was cut and maybe it was just cut for runtime because the film's already two and three quarter hours long. And again, Saffin doesn't really matter. So, (laughs) you know, it's, I feel like they probably sacrificed some clarity in that part of the movie because they, because anything else they cut from like, it is a long movie, but anything they would cut from Bond's journey in the film would lessen the film. Yeah, probably in a more meaningful way than establishing anything about Saffin being able to survive those bullets, you know, because ultimately at the end of the day, you can say you could just say, well, he was obviously wearing a bulletproof vest and his mask was bulletproof and the one that hit his mask knocked him out. There, I solved it for you. Like, mm-hmm. it's not that he gets big hit of the a chest, leap. Though. Yeah, but he gets, he gets blasted clearly in the chest. Yeah, but one gets hit in the mask and breaks the mask and that's why the yeah. mask is broken the rest of the film. That yeah. that one knocked him out. There you go. Done. Solved. Yeah. Problem solved. You know, like I don't I don't disagree. I'm just saying that that's an easier hand wave than taking anything to do with James Bond's journey out of this film. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to, but an easier hand wave than than cutting almost anything out of this film. Anything else out of this film. Yeah. So I wonder. I wonder if there was any point where he wasn't in it at all and they broke Blofeld out and Blofeld actually had his last hurrah. Uh, I don't because... think so. Because this isn't even the first. So just to get into some spoilery territories here. So the big MacGuffin in this film is that M, very uncharacteristically, has been running this secret lab where there's a bio-nanobot virus in development that can be specifically targeted to kill certain people. Um, and it gets stolen by Safin and his crew. Or, more specifically, it gets stolen by Spectre, who then Safin hijacks the programming of which, uh, of the virus, to kill all of Spectre. So for the second time in five movies, the huge criminal cabal behind everything has been eliminated. (laughs) (laughs) Um... And that then becomes like it's uh, I can't remember what it's, I saw it like a week ago so I can't remember what it's called the bioweapon you watched oh, it like it's last night right Heracles Heracles right and it's established that once this thing is in your system it's self replicating and permanent um so this is why I was thinking that maybe there was some early scene that was cut where he where Safin is given some version of this that repairs damage to his body, but can't like get rid of scar, scar tissue and mm-hmm. also keeps him sort of frozen in place in time. Right. Cause that would be the mm-hmm. only explanation as to why he looks the same age the whole way through the movie. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I mean, again, Saffin doesn't matter. Um, it is interesting to me that M acts really out of character. Uh, Cause you know, in Skyfall and Inspector, 
mm-hmm. Mallory, Rafe finds is very much a paragon of like old school morality and virtue. And then at the beginning of this film, it's revealed that he's actually been running a secret lab with a highly volatile weapon that can be targeted to kill any specific person or group of people off the books. And, you know, <laughs> it's just kind of a contradiction there. I kind of, yeah, I kind of like the justification of that when he, he has this, suddenly he turns up for a little um, duologue with Bond on the banks of the oh. River Thames. And yeah. he's talking about, it hey, we used to be here in a room with our enemy. Now they're, they're nowhere we can't see them so it kind of makes sense that this old man is trying to translate how he used to fight battles into what the modern world needs him to do but you're right it is it is a little um, out of character yeah and i think that you know making him clearly he is clearly troubled by it and he is clearly drinking heavily in the first half of the movie the whole time yeah. i just wish it was slightly more clear you know like it's not yeah. it, it feels like one more pass would have made that a little better yeah um but let's just jump to the end and address the elephant in the room so at the end of the film yeah bond is infected with a version of heracles that is targeted to madeline swan and also as a result his and madeline swan's daughter because <laughs> oh. james bond has a daughter in this film and because it's permanent because it can't be deprogrammed or removed from his body he allows himself to die James Bond dies at the end of this film. How do you feel about that, Simon? Um, so, <laughs> I've always liked the idea that every new Bond is a code name rather than the same character. I, I know we we went back and forth this earlier. I don't want to get back into it again, but so it kind of makes sense on that. Uh, if you're ending a Bond tenure, it's a bit like the end of a Doctor Who, right? You want to go out in a blaze of glory, and um, a apart from the fact that nanobots are electrical and they're using EMPs for all kinds of things during this movie. But then he talks to Q, like, can we stop them? And Q's like, oh, no, 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 there's no way. And not only will it uh, affect her, if you t- if you meet anyone, it will just jump to them and it will eventually jump to her. So there's, there's no way we can stop these tiny electrical robots with the EMPs. So I, I, um, that annoyed me a little bit. But the... This is what I was saying earlier, that I actually loved this film. I Uh thought it was a a really, really good action film. And I thought Daniel Craig was fantastic. I would watch just hours of Anna de Armas doing what she did. Um, I liked everyone. I liked the action scenes. The direction was spectacular, I thought. The, um, but that your, your main character dies at the end. And for me, part of a Bond movie, and, and it's interesting because I've been talking about this with my daughter, who suddenly, she watched Moonraker, and now she wants to watch more Bond movies. So she loved the kind of silly kind of Bond. She loves Jaws the most, but that's something else. And I've been talking <laughs> to her, like, what makes a Bond movie? And I'm trying to rationalize the violence and the others, because there's a lot of violence. I'm like, don't worry. Bond, like Indiana Jones, the whole point is that Bond gets into trouble and then survives. Like, that's the main crux of Bond. Like, no matter what happens, he finds a way. And for a Bond movie to end with the death of Bond made me kind of question, was that the best ending for a Bond movie? Does that make sense? It does. I think that the ending of this film and the ending of Daniel Craig's tenure, I think this was a fitting and perhaps the only way it could reasonably end given how 
how it starts with Casino Royale, how it progresses through his character arc through the five films, uh, and also just given the times. Because James Bond films basically always reflect the times that they are being made in. And that sort of finality um, to the character is something that we've seen a lot of recently, especially with the types of franchises that James Bond uh, mirrors or chases, um, like the Marvel movies uh, in particular, which is what they've been chasing in particular for the past two films. Um, you know, you, your hero dies at the end. Your hero, and not just dies, but like noble self-sacrifice. Noble and yeah. knowing self-sacrifice. Yeah. Um, is a, a very popular way for your hero to die these days. Yep, it really is. But does what are they going to do now, though? Because they they're just going to. There's no way Bond can ever be considered as the same character, right? So well, again, they're going to have, have a new Bond. Yeah, go ahead. Going going back to my earlier point, in that I don't think it really matters. Like I think that James Bond has only ever. Outside, especially outside of the Daniel Craig movies, James Bond has only ever had can- continuity in the macro sense. In the same way that, like, I don't think it matters that Tom Hardy plays Mad Max in Fury Road, and that the timing, like, within the timeline of the Mad Max films, Fury Road, like, you can't really place it. There's no distinct thing to say, oh, it's, you know, between these two or after that one, because it yeah. doesn't actually matter, because only the macro details really matter. So. I mean, what are they going to do next? I mean, there's a th- there's a thousand possibilities. Uh, the top three, which in my mind would be fully reboot things again, mm-hmm. uh, keep going with Lashana Lynch, or reboot it into a period piece and have the next John- James Bond film set in like 1965. Ooh, that's interesting. Right. I mean. But there's a you know the another possibility just bring in another character call him James Bond and have someone wink at the camera once, you know <laughs> like there's because it doesn't matter it, it honestly doesn't matter we just know that Daniel Craig's version of the character is done and whatever will be next will be next and it'll be different and yeah. I like the idea that they can't just keep trying to be exactly the same character like they did when they transitioned to Moore or yeah. when they transitioned to Dalton or when they transitioned to uh, Brosnan. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this one, this version of Bond started out distinct and it's going to, and it's now has ended distinctly. And I like that about it. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. The uh, Going back to what you're talking about, um, Fury Road, actually, what I love about Fury Road, which they kind of did, in No Time to Die as well, is that uh, at the end of Fury Road, it has the narrator who turns out to be one of the kids from um, uh, a a different uh, time where he has met um, Mad Max. And and the the story of Fury Road is someone telling the story of Mad Max. So it's it's sitting around the campfire. It's the visualization of telling the story of this, this person who wandered. Oh, you're talking about of, you're talking about Thunderdome, oh, actually. Thunderdome. So, yeah, don't they do that in Fury Road too? No, no. Oh, the, I'm so, talking about Thunderdome. You're right. You're right. You're in, right. Uh, in in the Road Warrior, it turns out that the kid in the movie is narrating the story at the very end, and in uh, Thunderdome, it turns out that the kids he saved are telling a campfire story. Right, 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 and, right, right. Yeah. So, 
So it's the storytelling technique, and at the end of No Time to Die is a really touching moment where Madeline turns to her daughter and says, I'm going to tell you a story about a, a man called James Bond. So you can kind of then, you can dial that back as far back as you want through the franchise to, mm-hmm. to see as how much of the story she's going to tell. Honestly, I think this movie would be a fantastic end to the franchise. Like, It'd be a, lo- a logical, you know, movie 25 is a pretty yeah. a nice round number to end on too. There's no way they're going to end the franchise, but it is a fantastic, if they were going to end the franchise, this would be the perfect way to do it. Yeah, and honestly, I think I think that's why it's the only fitting ending to Daniel Craig's run as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I think having a a distinct and definitive end to his version of the character is a good thing. And I think it mm-hmm. as much as some of the tropes of James Bond can't continue in the same way, I also think that's a good thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um I think that the franchise needs to evolve in a way more meaningful than just let's reflect current trends. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily have an answer to what that means, but there's no I don't think there's a wrong answer moving forward. They get it they have a more than ever before, they have a blank slate to start with. And they can make honestly, they could do all three vers all three of the movies that I said, and they would probably all be good. Yeah. Right? They could have a new James Bond, they could have a new spy franchise with Mallory and Lashana Lynch's know me as 007 and Anna de Armas helping her from the CIA as the Felix Leiter type character. And those could be two separate movies. And then they could also (laughs) do, they could also do a period set one. Uh, You know, they could also just, I mean, I was about to say they could could do a parody, but um, between Austin Powers and um, uh, OSS 117, we already have two amazing parodies. We don't need that anymore. Uh Um, speaking of which, if you've never seen the OSS 117 movies, you should definitely seek out the OSS 117 movies. They are Peter Sellers Casino Royale. I mean, there's that. So OSS 117 is a French franchise of James Bond style spoof movies starring Jean Dujardin as, and they're set <laughs> in the 60s, and they're hilarious. And he plays like he plays like the most stereotypically 60s dumbass misogynist male ever and the whole world reacts to him the whole time it's it's really great um they're not they're a little little bit problematic but well they're french like they didn't get a lot of play here but they're 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 i'll send you some trailers afterward they're pretty great there's three of them now i think um and they all have names like cairo nest of spies (laughs) anyway as they should as they should what do you what do you think of james bond having a kid in the movie fine that's a, yeah. well, apart from the fact that in one of the movies he gets his balls destroyed in torture and that's it's established that his balls don't work anymore which is maybe why he sleeps with everyone so apart from that slight issue i have no problem with that at all and again it's because craig makes it work like he he knows even though madden says it's not his kid from the beginning he he knows and um the it gives him a motivation that i thought worked well and mm-hmm. it gives him a humanity that i thought worked well so no problem at all with yeah. james no. having a kid i also really enjoyed or enjoyed maybe the wrong word but i really liked the scene at the end where madeline finally does say cuz she's been denying that he she that matilde is his daughter the whole time and she mm-hmm. finally reveals like she really does have your eyes and he's just like i know yeah. and it's you know it's clear that like this is this is 
this is the reason why I'm about to be blown up by this airstrike. Like I can't, I can't exist in a world and have you be safe at the same time. So I am yeah, going to die yeah. now. I yeah, thought that whole right. sequence worked really well. Yeah, a lot of it does work. I like to be clear. We're picking apart this movie. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I uh, yeah. I mean, there's two there's time. there's two types of people in the world, and there's those who think that Casino Royale is the best one he's done, and those who think that Skyfall is the best one that he's done to this point. Um, I think I'm the former and you're the latter. Yeah, I love Skyfall. I absolutely adore yeah. Skyfall. Yeah. Um, I think this is the best one since Casino Royale. Just to be clear, uh, I would place this I mean, one above Skyfall. I I agree, but for me, it's obviously better than Casino. It's the best Daniel Craig Bond. It's one of the best Bonds made, I think. And what I'm really happy about is that it didn't um, it didn't try to become born which I think was a, maybe a problem that it maybe slipped into um, before, but it's it still felt like many elements of its own thing, of its own, like, Bond being Bond, an older Bond, a tired Bond, a Bond who maybe just doesn't want to do this much anymore. Um, it did the best it could with incorporating the beautiful women and the flirtations, and there's, he... Um, he very clearly has been given some proper Roger Moore uh, one-liners. Oh, I really blew his mind. And he, oh, the the, mo- the, the watch the, gag, the watch gag and yeah. one-liner. This was spectacular. Yes. yes, yeah, yeah. And for the most part, he carries it off. And I think to to find the the elements of this incredibly like misogynistic, <laughs> robotic like killer franchise in in twenty twenty one and still make it work. I think worked really, really well. Perhaps that's why Anna Darmus wasn't in it longer because she couldn't become, she had to be just a Bond girl, but nothing more than this yeah. one moment in his life because he's fighting for different things now. Um, yeah, for sure. Spectacular. And there's one shot. Um, I want to talk about the the fight choreography is absolutely exceptional in, in the way it's devised and directed and shot. And there's a, there's a beautiful single shot um, towards the end, with bas- that basically shows James Bond as this trained one man army, and it you're is talking about the fight up the staircase, right? Yeah, the fight, the fight along the corridor, then up the staircase, and Daniel Craig sells everything, and it's all beautifully shot and directed. It's really yeah, and like every moment of that fight pays off as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So Corey Fukunaga is pretty famous for uh, long take action sequences, um, <laughs> and. Uh, this is a great example of one of those. I think the first one that people lost their minds over was there's one in the first season of True Detective that's like a seven minute action sequence, um, all in one take. Uh, but uh, there's a lot, and even within the rest of the film, there's a lot of like longer takes within larger seg- sequences as well, where you can clearly see that it's people doing things and not necessarily effects. Like when the uh, the very first sequence when the James Bond rides a motorcycle and does a huge jump up basically the side of a cliff. You can see oh, that through yeah. the camera work that somebody did. I don't know if it was, I don't think it was Daniel Craig, but somebody did that. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and it's just gorgeously shot yeah. throughout. I thought that there was a lot of amazing character moments in this film as well. I particularly enjoyed the moment at the beginning where, so he's been blown up at Vesper Lynn's, uh, tomb and he gets back to Madeline and he automatically assumes that she has betrayed him and he puts her in the car and they end up being surrounded by bad guys and he just sits there stewing 
while they shoot the crap out yeah. of the car for over like two or three minutes. Yeah. It feels like forever because she's desperate and he's angry and everything about the interaction, which is mostly wordless is kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah. Cause he clearly doesn't trust her anymore, but he still loves her. So we can't let her die. You know, it's a, yeah. uh, it's a, a wonderfully acted moment from Craig. I thought. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, there's lots and lots of little moments like that. Like I, my wife hasn't seen this yet. And actually watching this film really makes me excited to rewatch this film with her because it is so snappy. There's lots of little moments. And the, the bit I talked about earlier with um, him falling behind the bar, like that whole fight sequence mm-hmm. between him and Adamus and then the new 007 and then everyone else who comes, sort of comes into that layer upon layer of fight you never lose the geography. You never lose who is where and what. And it's just brilliantly done. It's fantastic. Yeah. I can't wait to see it again. And honestly, All three hours of it. We, we spoke about how um, some of the humorous bits don't necessarily fit, but I laughed every time. This is actually a very funny movie. <laughs> yeah. And I think my favorite bit, and I think the one that maybe is the one that doesn't fit the most, is there's a moment where he's just rescued Madeline and Mathilde, his daughter, from the bad guys, and he's running away with them, and he they, he joins back up with Lashana Lynch's uh, Nomi, and he says, uh, Nomi, this is Madeline Mathilde, they're my uh, and he sort of flubs it, and he turns around, and you see him to the camera, he's like, Mao's family? <laughs> and, like, it doesn't really fit with the tone of the film, but it's such a weird human moment that I really loved yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. But it's also very a very distinctly Phoebe Waller-Bridge moment like that's one of the ones where it's like that is the moment she wrote in this larger scene not the scene that she wrote exactly the same same in the um in the lab when they first when they cut to the lab and it's someone saying have you seen my container of weapons grade smallpox (laughs) i don't know if you do was hugh dennis famous here did you recognize the comedian with the beard he's a famous british comedian it was really nice to see him doing something as well yeah i so i don't i don't think he's necessarily famous here i recognize him from other things i've seen him in but i don't he's not like a big name but yes i know he's a funny man yes yes and so that was a very clear like scene for her as well but yeah i um, I think he is probably at least known because he obviously starred in the first season of um fleabag with of course he did of course he did i forgot about that and uh The actor who plays the <laughs> defected specter scientist guy, whose name mm-hmm. I can't remember. David um, something. Yeah, he's uh, also David one of those guys who it. just, yeah, he shows up in stuff and you're like, oh, it's that guy. <laughs> it's, yeah. um, oh, oh, talking of, oh, it's that guy. The best case scenario of anyone ever being, oh, it's that guy is Billy Magnuson showing up. Like, honestly, when I saw him turn up, I was like, I'm down. Like, this is... This is now one of my favorite movies of this year because Billy Magnuson is just one of my absolute favorite. Oh, look, it's that guy. Yeah, <laughs> and it's funny because it... I, I think <laughs> when he shows up in the right role, I think he's pretty incredible. And showing up as, um, so he shows up as a State Department official in this who's a colleague of Felix Leiter's who turns out to be a bad guy. But the whole, until you find out he's a bad guy, he's playing it really stupid and really sort of false, but in a way where, 
Like, if it, if it was a lesser actor, you'd just know from the start that he was playing it false. But because it's Billy Magnuson, you yeah. just think, oh, maybe he's just an idiot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's, he's just playing it as this, like, Bond fanboy who's, yeah. like, completely starstruck meeting him. And he's just brilliant. Like, he's, I don't know if you, you've seen the live-action Aladdin, but he is... I have, he yeah. has got He's got about one minute scene in the live-action Aladdin, and it's probably the best part of that movie, where he's just this incredibly goofy prince trying to impress um jasmine and yeah. again he does it, he he was just uh he was good in this and i really liked how the moment when he went from goofy starstruck to showing his true colors and being a lot darker and a lot more direct i thought he sold that really well as well yeah so i, enjoyed I mean that. he's he also was... he's also hilarious in game night like he's a fairly reliable guy yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he also gets i think my favorite death in the whole movie mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah. which you know he's He's been saw- so. There's a couple of really good action sequences, and the one in which Billy Magnuson participates is uh, a real, a really nicely executed cat and mouse chase scene through a, a misty woods, misty forest, and ultimately he ends up in a truck that's crashed and begging for his life, uh, and you know saying how they could have been him and Bond could have been brothers, and then brother gets and then Bond gets to say, "I had a brother. His name was Felix." And there's a car suspended above him that Bond then just like rips down and it lands on Billy mm-hmm. Magnuson, which a is a really nice emotional moment to really highlight the relationship between Leiter and Bond, but also a really nice callback to a moment in a Roger Moore Bond film where he kicks a car off a ledge with a person in it. Uh, you've got an encyclopedia knowledge of all these references, have you? Uh, well, it helps like that. that I, so earlier this year, or I guess last year, was it last year? This movie, so No Time to Die has been delayed enough times that I had intended to watch all of the Bond films ahead of it. And before the film was delayed the first time, because it was supposed to be out last year, before the film was delayed the first time, I got all the way to License to Kill. So within the last 18 months, I have watched the first, however many movies that is, uh, six Sean Connerys, Lizenby, seven Roger Moores, and two Timothy Dalton's. So, anything up to that point, I'm pretty fresh on. <laughs> um, but also, that moment is in um, "For Your Eyes Only," which is, I think, one of my favorite Roger Moore outings. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, I could have watched them all in the last week, and I wouldn't remember the references. So, you, you've got a much better brain for that than I do. Yeah, you know, I have. I don't have kids. Uh, I, just have, <laughs> I just have work and movies. I don't have oh, a lot of else. Man. So, I wish that weren't so true. Um, the uh, the next step for Bond, like Craig has done so much in humanizing the character. I know we've talked about like the where it'll be set and so on, but what do you think in terms of their their take with the character is going to be? What's going to be their most likely next step? Is that can go back to someone who? is a little less uh, involved historically. Like, what do you, what do you think? I honestly have no idea. And that's probably the best place for them to be. Mm-hmm. My, my honest, my honest appraisal is that, and I've already thrown out a number of ideas, but the idea that I kind of hope to go with is that they just make Lashana Lynch 007 and they just keep making movies. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'd go with that. And they, you know, she's clearly 007, but she's not, James Bond. 
anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, have it be the mm-hmm. 007 franchise. I'd be fine with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that it would drag the whole thing in further into the 21st century in a way that doesn't necessarily betray the individual character of Bond. Because obviously, just saying, oh, the new James Bond is a woman. Um, there's a lot of people who will object to that for better or for worse. So I think if you're going to... and I don't have a problem with that. I think it would be fine. Um, but I think a way to sort of like thread the needle of continuing it without a misogynistic white man and having it still be honoring the franchise would be to just make Lashana Lynch 007 now. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's a way to sort of, again, thread that needle of appeasing the widest number of fans. So, Because the, the people who are going to be upset that James Bond is a black woman are going to be upset no matter what happens. So mm-hmm. don't try to please them. I, I think they're going to cast another white dude to be James Bond. Specifically, I mean, ultimately, that's probably what they will do, yes. I think that they will cast someone who's in his late 20s or early 30s, maybe Mm -hmm. mid-30s, and that person will carry the franchise another 10 to 15 years. That's So, assuming that's going to... Say that does happen, who would be your sort of casting pick for that? Which kind of actor have you got floating around in the periphery that would fit that? We've talked about Tom Hardy before, but he's probably a little old now. So, do you... Tom Hardy which, is older which... today than, than Daniel Craig was <laughs> when he became James Bond. That's, ridic- that's ridiculous. Yeah. Who who uh, who would you push as the new if we're going for white I guy? hope they I hope they choose a nobody. Oh, I hope they choose yeah. someone who yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine two thousand and six now, but remember that Daniel Craig wasn't really a household name before James Bond. And I think yeah. that's exactly the kind of, you know, you choose mm-hmm. someone who's done some interesting indie work, who's done some work that makes it clear he could carry the character as they did. And basically, I'm just describing Daniel Craig in 2005. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. he was a, he yeah. was established as a character actor. He had done Layer Cake, which established him as a solid leading man for a morally dubious character. Mm-hmm. And they could also afford him and keep him for 15 years. You know, like everyone lots of people i know say like idris elba or or even like nicholas holt who to be fair i'd be on board with but most of the people that most of the actors that people i know float are well-established actors and of all the franchises in the world that don't need well-established actors james bond is probably number one yeah you know you cast someone who's an up-and-comer you surround him with a incredibly talented supporting players and then you let a movie happen yeah, um, so. for me it'll be interesting because again i think that's probably the way they will go it'll be interesting to me how how many of the existing supporting cast they carry forward because i think ben wisha has already said that he's he might be done as playing q mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think that you know ray fines ray fines continuing it as m would be a lovely way to carry forward some yeah. amount of continuity like when Judy Dench Judy remained Dench, as yeah. M. Yeah. Um, and honestly, Roy Kinnear is... I hope that Roy Kinnear plays Tanner forever because I think Roy Kinnear is a very underrated actor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. I just... I'm, I'm... For the moment, I'm glad that this particular chapter in James Bond's story has a definitive yeah. ending. Yeah. And I, won- I do wonder if the likes of, you know, any other living Bond actors are like, motherfucker that guy got an ending (laughs) (laughs) 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I I'm happy to wait and see. I don't, I'm not going to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Good. Well then we should probably wrap up there. Um, yeah. No We've time been talking to die. For a while. Yeah. I, I really recommend no time to die. Um, I, I, as you say, your mileage with theaters is up to you, but if you are able to go and want to go, it's uh, it's certainly, I think, probably the best Daniel Craig Bond movie, and it's one of the best made and satisfying action movies I've seen in absolutely years. It's really, really well made. Mm-hmm. There are some elements that are, don't work as well as others, but on the whole, I can't wait to see it again. It's also... We didn't really talk about this, and I won't now, but it's also really interesting how it picks up a number of plot threads from Spectre, which is a bad movie, yeah, it's terrible. and sort of redeems them. Like It sort of redeems Spectre a little bit as set yeah. up for this movie. So yeah. Anyway, well, that's James Bond. Yes. We liked it. <laughs> we did, indeed. <laughs> um, thank you for listening to our ramblings. Um, Simon, what do you have coming up in the next week? Do you have anything coming up at all? Uh, putting all my belongings in boxes. Right. And um, uh, I need to finish Squid Game, which is fantastic. Maybe we can. Do you fancy hammering Squid Game in the next week? Capture that zeitgeist while it's still hot. Uh, I can certainly try. Um, I want to finish Squid Game because it is significantly better than I thought it would be, and um, I, I really like it. Yeah, and um, I really want to watch um, C. I want to start watching C on Apple TV. On Plus Apple TV Plus, I really like the look of it, and the new trailer, the trailer for season two, is the default trailer between all the baseball matches at the moment. And so this, it's uh, it's <laughs> hammering home how much I keep forgetting. My problem is I sit down at night and I'm like, what should I watch? Oh, I don't know what to watch. And then every other time I'm like, oh no, I want to watch C. I also so I... want to watch Foundation. I have watched the first season of C and that show is bonkers in a way that I think you might appreciate. Yeah, I think so too. I'm down. What have you got coming up? Uh, Lots of stuff. Too much stuff. I am headed into a very busy personal life period uh, with work and school and also the Festival de Nouveau Cinema and also a number of other new releases and uh just stuff. There's just so much stuff. I also have a book I need to review. So. Ooh. Cool. Well, enjoy doing that. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure we'll be back next week with uh, some interesting insight into whatever we've watched in the next yeah. week. <laughs> True story. Well, uh, and on that note, we will say goodbye. Thank you again for, for listening. Um, once again, if you like what you hear, give us a review, give us a like, give us a shout out on whatever pl- platforms you're on. Um, if you want to support us, we have a Patreon and we have a Kofi and you can find those at awesomefriday.ca. And that's the end of our show. Thank you Thanks, guys. so much. We love you. <laughs> we do. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.